Hello and welcome to Making and Doing. My name's Graham Newman. I'm the founder of Design School Asia. Throughout this series of programs, I'm asking leading creative, technology and business industry experts how their practice is responding to change and how this change can foster cultural, economic and social benefit in Southeast Asia. In today's program, we're talking to Kun Tarif Jeffrey, founder and CEO of Happily, a people and culture technology platform whose mission is to create happier workplaces. Tarif combines his experience developing tech products in Southeast Asia, people analytics from his studies at MIT, and a love for behavioral science to supercharge teams with positive interactions and gameplay at work. Successful companies have engaged employees, unsuccessful companies don't. It's a brutally simple truth. Think Google, Accenture or IDEO, and there is, at least externally, a perception of engaged employees who understand their business objectives and deliver value and purpose. Create the right company culture and you hopefully get a happy staff, happy managers and directors with slightly less anxiety for a brief moment. There is obviously much more to this and it's not just about nurturing charismatic leadership. Personality and style are two very distinct things. The first is indisputable, it's who you are on the inside. The latter is best described as what you do and how you do it and how often you do it. In this context, behavioural science is dedicated to the proposition of measuring style as employee engagement through regular pulse checks in a form of short, frequent and anonymous surveys, often incentivized, that offer data metrics for managers to track meaningful feedback and peer-to-peer recognition that hopefully delivers a significant competitive advantage in the long run. Measuring employee engagement is a tricky business, and technology plays an important role here. Having the right technology that's fit for purpose, focusing on the design of the communication and information, and avoiding making engagement feel like it's work, with dreary regularity of having to fill in survey responses and forms. The orthodox reaction to this employee engagement is that it's only for enterprise-level businesses, and they are the only ones who can invest in this luxury. This is no longer the case. Scalable pricing models can start as low as $5 per user per month. If we consider the smaller the company, the more important it is to retain the talent and develop the culture, employee engagement technology for SMEs should be viewed as a must-have, not a nice-to-have. Small organizations have to focus on productivity and culture, and one is looking through the lens of the majority of design practices here, who tend to have between 2 and 12 people working in the studio or from home right now. Tarif also refers to nudge theory, a behavioural science popularised by the book of the same name, first published in 2008 by two scholars from the University of Chicago and Harvard, respectively. Nudge theory proposes positive reinforcement and indirect suggestions as ways to influence the behaviour and decision-making of groups or individuals. It's also what we inherently do as design educators during formative critiques and feedback sessions, two of the most valuable aspects of design education. Having a charismatic tutor coordinating a program will naturally rub off on a cohort of learners. But is this enough when it comes to learning unit feedback, for example? Perhaps having an anonymous channel similar to those instances used in business will be a welcomed addition for deeper student engagement. There's a strong case for a technology to measure student perspectives on learning units for 
and the overall quality of teaching delivery that includes identifying strengths and potential actions for further development in real time as students progress through the module using community engagement tools. So how can we use these emerging technologies to embed more feedback for teaching staff and students? We unpack this by firstly asking Tarif what was the big idea behind his company's engagement technology platform, Happily. Yeah, I mean, that's... I could spend a few hours on this one. Um, I think there's a lot of things that came together at the right time. Yeah. Um, I has, you know, I've always been fascinated with technology and design. Um, and I, I've been, you know, it's, Taply is my, I think my sixth startup in eight years. Uh, most of them have failed. Uh, most of them have been just great learning experiences yes. as the, you know, the uh, euphemism for, for what has happened. Um, but what really came together was my experience being in the workplace. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that kind of connects all of us together. We've all, all we've all been there, and we've all right. have stories to share about the best moments and the worst moments. I had a chance to go to business school at MIT, where I mm. dived a bit into people analytics, and I kind of fell in love with that. It was just a perfect combination of data science that I really enjoy, and also human psychology, right? How people think, and when you put that together in the workplace you kind of see that we've kind of gotten it wrong for a very long time. We think that this idea of employee engagement or happiness at work, um, we all, I don't know, how I've seen it being tackled is a measurement problem. Like, yeah. okay, let's, let's measure this better. Let's find new ways to measure it. Let's find new indexes and scoring systems. But it's not a measurement problem. It's a people management behavior problem. I think that's what I was really fascinated by is that how do you then how you solve that problem? It's easy to measure something. Right. How do you design something that can actually change people's behavior so that, you know, to cause whatever impact you want to create? And for us, in our cases, how do you make people happier at work? How does that work? Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I wanted to I wanted to unpack that a bit more you know, in terms of how does analytics and behavioral science inform yeah. measurement in this context? Um, I think so. It. it, it in this case, it's good to start from the very beginning of what, what it really is engagement, why is happiness important, um, and then once we understand that, then we could figure out how do we actually achieve it. Engagement has been, the idea of concept of engagement has been around for a very long time. Um, this idea of happiness is a bit newer, like why, what, you know, why, should, why does a business have to care whether the employees are happy or not? Uh, it's, it's nice to see that over and over again, new research coming out just showcases this happier employees will you know will create companies with higher sales growth revenue growth yep. uh, better retention a, a lot of this is common sense it should be common sense um, so I think that the advantages of that is it's becoming more commonplace that you know people understand that the other thing that I thing is a huge area to talk about too is the idea of happiness where mm. I, it, it can be a very philosophical concept but I think in the workplace it's not it's not abstract at all right there are fundamental things that should happen for you to be happy at work uh, and what I also find interesting about all this stuff is that it's about your expectations you have it and I think this is about anything in life you expect something and you don't get that you're not gonna be that happy about it yeah. so I think the expectations that we have of our, from our workplaces is ever increasing it's growing right the new generation is expecting more and more mm -hmm. the question is are we able as a workplace to deliver on these things and do we how well do we understand that so there, there's a lot of things around that yeah uh, but I think that what's most crucial is just 
understanding that happiness is not abstract in the workplace, that there are things that we can get right, then we could start figuring out what are those things, mm. right? Is it about free food? No, actually, it is not about giving people free food. It's actually about helping them build better relationships at work. Yes. How can a manager be better at being a people manager? If they are better people managers, people will have a happier time at work. How can we, you know, how, and things like that. And that's yes, what we focus yes. on. That's one of the questions I was going to ask you, Tarif, is, is that I suspect very few managers actually get, get it. At the, at the moment, um, you know, they get they get employee engagement, and you know, it could also be considered as part of HR. You know, charismatic leaders get it, but possibly the the, the, the kind of weakness in the chain is is management. So, how how can we actually start to get more management buy-in into yeah. employee engagement? So, so I think Gallup published something about how one in ten managers possess the talent to be great managers, something like that. And that's pretty scary to think about. But so I think there's a talent component where yeah, charismatic leaders just I guess have that knack of being that kind of person that could lead teams that way. But what about the rest? I think that yes, sure, there's talent, but I think there are kind of uh, a blend of self-awareness, introspection, how to communicate. These are things that can be taught that maybe doesn't have to be so talent driven. And I think that's where if that becomes more accessible to more people, then we could go from that one out of 10 people being great managers or having the talent to possess them. Say, okay, fine, one in 10, but how about the, the nine in 10, if we can facilitate their, make, make it easier for them. Mm. Uh, I think management doesn't come easy for everyone. Mm. Uh, how do we make it easier? And that, that, that's another whole area that we mm. explore too, that being a manager today is incredibly difficult. You're doing your work, plus you're doing other people's work, plus you're managing people. Yes. Uh, and we don't give managers enough credit for that. Uh, but more than credit, we also need to give them support. Giving them the right information at the right time is critical. Right now, most of our people management, honestly, is done using instinct and guesswork. Yes. Some people yeah. don't have the instinct for it, then you're in trouble. And then making people decisions based off guesswork, that's not where how you want your business to be run. So it's not just a reflection of personality, it, it's style when, when, we're looking, sure. when we're looking at engagement. There's another article in the Harvard Business Review looking at attractiveness versus power and, and, and how, sure. how lean attractive or lean, lean yeah. powerful you yeah. can be. But using this technology, how do we engage more, um, take the analytics and data and how, how do we actually inform leaders and managers based on the data that you're collecting yeah. through Happily? So I think that it's about there's a it's about shifting the focus uh, of of how to use the data the right way. So I mentioned getting the data to the right person at the right time is critical, which has been the biggest failure points, especially in the area of employee engagement. We do a survey once a year. By that time, somebody consolidates that information and provides this presentation for somebody else to look at. All these problems that we may or may not have found just become irrelevant. So. What if we could do this all in real time? What if as a manager, I know exactly when my team is not doing well and why, what's going on? When I know this person is at risk of leaving for these particular reasons. And not only do I know that, but can have support helping me understand what I could do about it. What kind of conversation am I supposed to have? And, and things like that. So that's kind of where we feel data should go. It's, it, I think this is another aspect of design. That data alone is not great. How do you design the user experience from the point of view of a manager so that it's most useful for him or her? 
And at the same time for the employee as well, who's answering these questions every day, how do you make it an experience where they want to share their honest selves? Mm. Another huge area to, to talk about where the, the current ways that we collect data, do we ask ourselves how honest people are when they share data with us? Most of the time, they, they may not be. And then yeah. if you don't get you know, garbage in, garbage out. So a, a big focus of what we do at Happily is how do we build trust? How do we make it a habit so that when people answer questions every day, they're answering truthfully mm. so that when they're not doing well, they will tell us mm. and we could fix the problem right away rather than it all being hidden under a lot of maybe ego, pride, politics that maybe you know, is something that we, we have more than we should. That's really interesting, particularly in this part of the world, when we consider there are cultural differences in different organizations. If you have a Japanese company, you're probably likely to get different responses sure. from a Hong Kong business or an Indonesian business. Is there any resistance or do you see any trend in, in um, actually yeah. the, 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 the quality of input that you're getting based on the culture of the organization? I think culture plays a huge part. We do have customers in different parts of the world and we definitely see behave differently. But what we were, we were pleasantly surprised by was, you know, for example, in Thailand, I think the culture can be generalized as one that doesn't really share maybe as openly, right? Um, and uh, when we were launching Happily, we had thought that when we ask open-ended questions, maybe 10% will reply back. Today, we have over a 50% reply rate on a daily level, Yeah, which we're very proud of. Mm. The other thing too is that when you reply on Happily, you can also toggle to send the feedback anonymously if you, if you wish to. And over 97% of feedback shared is not anonymous. Because I think the, the big thing is helping people understand that when you share information, when you give feedback, it's not a bad thing. Uh, it can be positive. And we orient our questions those that way as well, where most of our questions are positively oriented because the conversations we, sh we should be having are positive qu questions. For example, in the past month, what achievements are you proudest of? Things that we should be talking about, but we never do because we don't think that it deserves our time. Things like, what is something that your manager should keep doing, right? So there, there's ways we could ask questions where we could say, yeah, actually giving feedback is a nice thing. It actually mm. can be a chance where I recognize somebody else for something good that they've done. Let me keep doing that. Um, and then having the gamification component as well, where every time I'm asking questions, I collect coins that I could use to redeem rewards later on. Yep. That, of course, helps a ton as well. So I think there's a lot of behavioral science uh, that can be, you know, that, that we're using to, to, in, to get the behavior that, that we want to create a positive workplace. Yeah. And the majority of Happily's clients are at, at the corporate level. I'm just wondering if there's, if, if there's an opportunity to actually start building culture, even at a startup and SME level, yeah. in order to actually you know, go through rounds of funding or attract the right people um, yeah. at, at either advisory level or employee level, there is this concept of nurturing culture in a company. And I would argue it's never too early to do so. Yeah. So what's your take on actually offerings to SME and startup, and particularly because the majority of design practitioners are companies between 2 and 12 yeah. uh, in, in terms of boutique studios and agencies gotcha. servicing the creative industries. 100%. Uh, 100%. I think that people is imp people first. People are most important in any organization, but even more so when you only have 20 people or 30 people because that one person will, will make or break your business. Right. So building the right culture, having the right relationships buildings in place, 
crucial for business. Uh, we actually designed Happily for that market, more, more so than the enterprise market, okay. because yeah. we felt with the enterprise market, they do have already uh, offerings. Uh, they have huge teams to manage this employee engagement experience, but smaller businesses don't. They, we don't, even us as a startup, we cannot afford to have a team dedicated to employee engagement, even as important as it is. We want to automate all that for the mid-market or the you know for the startups, like saying that we'll take care of it. Uh, you know, we, we and we are a technology platform, so we, we are looking to be able to do that. Um, you know, for, yeah, yeah, for, for those customers. And I think I think this is very timely uh, when you know if, to actually get employees to remain engaged working from home at a yeah. time where it would be easy to understand that they might not be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, there's two ways of looking at this when you go to remote work. There are some that will say, okay, I need a time tracker to make sure that my employees are working uh, whatever eight hour days. And there's another that says, okay, it's not about time tracking. I need to ensure that my employees are, are doing okay, that, you know, they're, they're happy, their mental health is fine. In isolation, things are going to be more challenging. I think that we, and then we, we clearly find that the, the latter case produces, I mean, it creates more productivity because work in, with knowledge workers, it's not about how long or how much time you, you spend clocking and clock, you know, how long you are there at work. It's more about what you do with the time that you have. Yes, yes. I want to come on and look at how we can actually take this model and implement it in higher education because there seems a, a very, very similar disconnect between sure between teaching staff and students, okay. particularly within uh, design education where the crit or the, the, the critique is so important. Mm -hmm. And actually getting student feedback is very, very difficult to do for many reasons, one of them being on international programs, perhaps students don't feel necessarily confident in front of their peers, uh, and also there's a huge power difference be because the prof there's the professors and the students, and they don't really want to engage because of that indifference. So I would love to see something like yeah. Happily being rolled out in higher education and also vocational colleges. Very interesting. We, we had concerns, so definitely we'll like to you know, talk more with you on that, uh, but yeah, interesting to talk about because you're right, the problem that we need to solve, very similar. Uh, how do you break this barrier? Uh, whatever power barrier there is, or I think it's more perceived than real. If you know, happily can help with that, which we have in the workplace, I'm sure it could be applied elsewhere. Um, and I think a, a core part too that could help is that when we ask questions in happily, half the time we don't ask it for the responses; we ask it for the self-reflection that comes from asking that question. Right? You know, when we ask the question, "Are you easy to work with at work?" It's not about whether you answer yes or no. It's just that when you take the time to actually reflect, "Have I been easy to work with at work?" That's that's profound. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that in the uh, higher education or what, what whatever environment that happily can cater to, I think just having a chance to every day reflect a bit, whether it's in the context of journaling or just answering a few questions, I think can be very powerful. That, that's absolutely aligned to design education. What we do is we nurture independent learning and critical engagement, and, and there's, a, there's a learning cycle based on constructivist theory for that. This lack of engagement really came out from a, a wonderful uh, paper written by uh, an academic at Kingston University in the UK called Bernadette Blair. The paper is titled, At the end of a huge crit in the summer, it was crap. <laughs> I worked really hard, but all she said was fine, and I was gutted. 
and that very much propagated the you know we, we have to get more feedback not necessarily from an evaluation point of view but actually to get more personal reflection from the students yeah uh, you know there's that feedback part that I, I could not agree more and then I think there's this other aspect too that deserves a very long conversation was about recognition right the fact that when we do something today we do need that almost instant recognition that we did something well uh, I think that maybe social media and that growth of social media has driven that when we post something we were looking how many people liked it yeah and then we're after that it's not about money it's not about anything like that it's just that we want to feel that what we've done is appreciated by other people I think in the workplace we don't really have mechanisms in place for that or you know in academia as well I'm sure um, so as uh, feedback of course and I think that feedback comes in many shapes and forms and recognition is one of those things where I always feel it's such an easy thing to do. But you know, why, why is it so hard sometimes to, to get that in the right time? Yes, I call these things regular pulse checks yeah. because, because I think it's, it's so important to get these you know, short, frequent and anonymous survey responses, just checks and balances that, that, that we're doing okay. Yeah. Is this being driven by HR departments at enterprise level or who, who, who's actually buying buying into this? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, we ask that a lot internally as well because we're trying to build the most useful product and we're, ask, we're always asking who are we building it for. I think definitely HR is a key stakeholder in this because they're the ones in the position to make people decisions. They're, I think they're becoming more of a strategic uh, force in the company. And you know, there's no, there's nothing more important than people. I will always say this. And uh, our, you know, what, what do you spend more in an organization than you do your people? Right? Uh, there's nothing. But yet, we understand them least. We do feel HR is in the best position to really take this data and be able to f inform other businesses about, look, what are your biggest risks here? What are your biggest opportunities? Who on your teams have the highest networks, uh, connections between people? There would be great to create, in, you know, if you're looking for people to support change in your organization, those are the people you want to go to. There's a lot you could do with that data. So I think for sure. And I think that business leaders as well will understand the pain point that we're solving best. Yes. The pain point today is, you know, a lot of companies will always ask the question, why aren't we growing as fast as we should? Why aren't we performing well? And the easiest thing to do is to blame our strategy. Oh, the strategy was wrong. Let's let's go back to the drawing board and reorganize our company yeah. and then, mm -hmm. you know, try again. But in the end of the day, it's not thing it's not about that. It's just about the people that we have and how do we manage them better and how do we make them more engaged? because everything else will then work itself out. But that we're, we're always, I guess, we always go to the easiest thing to think about, which is more strategy, because we could, we could change that in a day. Of course, But yes. we can't change people in a day. Yes, yes. Yeah. So just finally on change, well, what are the insights and recommendations that you would give to actually build a very dynamic culture in any organization? I'll borrow something that you said, which is it's, not, it's never too early to start. So I think there's that. I think there's always this back of the you know in the back of the mind uh we're not ready for this yet uh let's wait until we are but that that will never happen so i think we should just get started i think there's another huge huge uh thought uh, i mean uh, some uh, uh, something that blocks things from happening where we say that oh 100 percent of us need to get on board before this happens uh that, that it, ra ra rarely things happen that way i think we should focus on the group of people that want to move forward the most if it's your top 40 percent Give them a voice, give them a chance to give you feedback, 
check up, make sure they're doing okay. The rest will follow. This is how this is how it works. I think. I think. Lastly, yeah, we 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 should understand that change will take time as well. That it's not about using something today and the problem will be fixed tomorrow. But we actually we found that it the changes happen faster than we think. Um, so we use nudge theory um, to help employees be happier at work. We found that half the employees that were unhappy had nothing to do with their workplace or the managers. It actually had to do with how they perceived their problems at work. And our spark, what we call sparks is that every day, um, after you answer your questions for the day, we give you a snippet. And the snippet is like uh, from a book, from a thought leader. It just helps you yeah. think differently about a problem that you're having. And within two months, we're able to reduce the number of unhappy people in the organization by half. Before, when we had 10% report unhappiness, we're down to three, four percent. And this is two months. So I say change can happen. It happens a bit at a time, but we do have to invest in it. And if we invest in the right ways and we trust our people to be engaged in it as well, good things will happen. And you can find out more about Happily at their website, happily.ai. That brings us to the end of today's program. Thanks to Kuntari for sharing his insights on how he and engagement technology are making change happen. To join our network of students, educators and practitioners helping make sense of what's happening right now as design evolves from making things to making things possible, go to designschool.asia and consider joining our Making and Doing Facebook group where we exchange ideas about how design education and practice is responding to the cultural, social and economic challenges in Southeast Asia. Making and Doing is produced by supervillain Dana Bluin. Join us at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Graham Newman, thanks for listening.